Hey everybody, welcome to Outspoken. My name is Justin White, this is episode 96, and my guest today is uh, my brother's friend, and now my friend, Paul Brainerd. Um, he is an artist, and he met my brother in the artist's world, some call it the art world, I call it the artist's world. Um, and he and I had only ever met at one of my brother's openings for just a minute and there were a ton of people. So we had a short conversation prior to this one and we had an immediate rapport and could have gone on for hours. I think we did go on for hours. We could have gone on for more hours, but anyway, here's Paul explaining how he came to know my brother and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Um, so I, I'm an artist and I'm a painter and make drawings and I'm friends with, uh, I became friends with Eric, you know, through art world stuff in New York city. I was a big fan of his artwork and I saw it before I met him and, uh, we became friends. Um, and he's just a great guy and, you know, very genuine, warm person and, uh, there's not a ton of those in New York City and probably a lot of big cities that are have a lot of ambitious people. I felt like I was very impressed by his work ethic and his genuineness um, as a person. And, you know, I remember commenting one time to him about he came to one of my openings or something. And I said, oh, you're the guy who actually, you know, shows up when they say they're going to show up at your opening because, you know. God knows we've all had the art opening thing and then you get 900 texts like the minute right before it starts and like, Oh, sorry, I couldn't make it or else nothing at all. And then, right. you know, isn't that, isn't it's that like, great? It's like, Th- I, thanks. I'm so into that. That scene is like my favorite thing. Cause it's like, you know, it's just like, look, if you're going to be full of shit, there's fine. It's fine. You know, but don't fake it and say you're going to show up and then like never show up. And, you know, it's right. it, whatever. It's like you develop a thick skin over time with this stuff either way. But it doesn't feel great to have to, right. to, be, to have somebody just bail on. Especially what they said like they were people do. you think you're friends with. Because like, it's just, you know, it's like, come on. Like, I don't, you know. And then it, as you get older, it just seems more ridiculous. But um, I was always impressed by Eric being a guy who, you know, is a man of his word. and. He he certainly is. He's he's probably got more integrity than anyone I know. I mean, he's really solid. He's yeah. uh, he he's he's he works really hard on himself to you know to be a good person, and he's he succeeds at it most of the time. You know, I know, and I I remember socializing and coming to his studio and stuff when he was still in Brooklyn, and I was always also very impressed where he would just go through these periods where he wouldn't have like one drop of alcohol the whole time he's working on this show. And then when it was over, we would kind of tie one on and at some of the movie nights in his studio where we were like, right. Cut loose a little bit. Very, like I'm very impressed by his discipline on many, many forms. I am too. I'm, I'm amazed by it actually. Yeah. It's uh, and it's inspiring. You know, it's like, you know, it's, we all know people who are like, you know, a, sl- a, a big sloppy mess as artists. <laughs> and, people, and so, you know, you want to have someone that helps you aspire to being, uh, you know, possibly a better version of yourself. And yeah. I think he's definitely one of those people. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, 
but but let's talk about you so you're an artist okay because you're an artist so what kind of you say you're a painter what do you use oil or yeah no, it, or both, it, or? it's primarily oil and uh I, i've been kind of messing around with some acrylic stuff although i don't really like it as much as i do oil oil kind of is you know oil is kind of like the the cadillac of of the of the painting medium it's like it's just so much more lush and alive and beautiful and heavy cool do you like to come back to a painting and and continue layering and do different like move paint around yeah because because and i feel like there's a lot of counterintuitive stuff that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense at the time but it's just you're kind of creating an atmosphere or some noise to work off of you know it's not as much where you're developing an image just based on i want to draw this nose and have it look like a nose because there's certainly a lot of that but there's also a lot of stuff where you're just kind of you know making atmosphere or a uh more than just a background you know it's just like in it you know you kind of like layer it like a collage and in doing that um you go through a lot of changes and, and eradicate and destroy and create and like, you know, not to get all Picasso, but you know, it's, there's, there's an element of that that I think makes for a uh, more true version of, you know, some kind of reality. Okay. That I've, That's cool. That's a cool way to look at it. You know, cause it's like, if life was easy, you could just, you know, draw it and then color it in but that it doesn't right. it was like cheap to do that for me so i like to i feel like there always has to be some counter where it's like you're making it more difficult for you to do something and then that kind of it provides some weird psychic energy or atmosphere for the image i think and you really do set set yourself up like that to like you want you want a challenge yeah. every time you come at it yeah i feel like you know a lot of times i'm i feel like i'm this uh I get a lot of, I make a ton of drawings and I get a lot of empty frames because I work in galleries and, you know, rich people are always throwing frames out. And so you'll get this like amazingly weird frame that's not necessarily anything I would buy if I had to spend money on it. But right, you have it and it's like a really nice frame. So I'll like rip paper to the fit of the frame and then make, you know, it kind of makes you make a different sized artwork than you might do. That's Which, cool. You yeah, you you have to start with the frame. And you go start, like, that the, side. the parameters yeah. and dimension of the artwork are dictated by the frame, and you know, and I also like the idea that you're using this old frame, like a, you know, you, you use it, you know, just as the it dictates the composition. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. And, I get and that. So I, I work a lot like that. And so I have all these frames from over the years and all this stuff framed and it's all like throw out frames, half of it. And, you know, recently I've, I've bought some new frames myself just, you know, because I made a lot of drawings during early COVID that uh, I just was, you know, sitting in the apartment in Queens, listening to sirens go um, 24 hours a day. And it was getting kind of, you know, starting to, get to you and so yeah, i just made a lot of drawings because i was home alone all the time or you know my wife eva and wow. i were here in the apartment just with constant sirens and it's like you know it was pretty daunt it's i think we're all more relaxed with it now um, yeah 
which it for better like or worse. This certainly then probably a lot of the country doesn't feel as safe right now as New York does, but it's still all here and still serious. But I, I think you know, New York probably, did a better job with the first lockdown. Yeah. They, they really took it seriously. Right yeah. I, my brother and I talk about this all the time and, you know, it's just like, you know, cause he's in, he's in Georgia and he's worried about it because of, you know, the, the leadership and how it was approached and uh you know it's got to be so crazy in georgia right now with all the heat gathering yeah. you know i know in the election and like it's you know i was very very glad to see them go blue for this uh election you know it's amazing but it's anyhow amazing. we, I, we I, I could i don't want to go too far down you know i mean it doesn't no it's too easy to get to go dark yeah we've or had just, enough <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you and I have a have a good rapport, and we could have a certainly more exciting conversation than politics. But, Absolutely, I mean, <laughs> let's do it. Although, although so it's like I, I was on the phone with Eric, and I did that last week, and we were, the two of us were like, this, "Can you believe this?" And, you know, well, yeah, he can definitely get into it, and uh, yeah. I don't think it's good for him or for anybody to get heated about you know something that's out of your control. You just do what yeah. you can within no, it, within your realm I, yeah like make a make some art it's like that's what you can do mm-hmm. you know, and you can make something that some other human being will respond to i'm glad you said that because like, oh, i i think that needs to be I, i'm really sorry go ahead no no I'm, I'm really uh very passionate about that because i feel like you know it's just like that's great that you you're just gonna yell it's some shit you read off the internet at me for two hours. And it's like, I could have just gone to the internet and been yelled at <laughs> without <laughs> by, talking by somebody to you. Else. Talk to your friends and like the whole conversation is this like depressing parroting some article you read on the internet and you're like, God, just go make a drawing. Like, I don't know, go for yeah. a run, like do anything but that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really good advice. And I think it, Going back to the just making art and having someone else be affected by it, I think that that should be recognized as a valid, you know, use of your life and time and expression and energy, you know? No, and I feel like the bad teenager in me, it's kind of like, you know, when, when it's funny or successful, and I think this might be some Generation X thing, certainly. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm right in the middle of Generation X is that, you know, Me it's too. like leaving a it's like leaving a fart in the elevator and then like walking out and then all these people walk in and you right. know? <laughs> that's quality entertainment. Yeah, and you know, it's just like I always feel like there's an element of certainly a lot of the more provocative stuff I've ever tried to do and leave as artwork is that, you know, when I'm dead and gone, someone will look at it and just be like, What the fuck was this guy doing? <laughs> You know, in a really kind of morbid, strange, weird, you know, there's a lot of, this is one of those things with, with Gen X that I feel like it's like a, it's, it's more provocative. I thought the whole idea to being an artist was sort of to be provocative and now it's from the very beginning. That's what you felt or yeah, I mean, for me, definitely. And that it just was part of my personality, but then now I feel like there's so much stuff that's off limits that you can't talk about for whatever reason yeah and yeah it does kind of seem like that 
it's weird for me to, because it's just, you know, the, I feel like there's a whole thing with being provocative and being an artist that you have to, you know, you have to understand it's art and music and theater and dance. And there are these realms that aren't politics or what's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's that there should be a purity and an understanding that you're doing this thing. And it's this, you know, poetry or this, it's something that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. It's your expression. It's like, I'm not, someone's manager at Walmart, I'm like making a painting and that's not reality. So things discussed or looked at or examined in an artwork by its nature should not be held to some weird politically correct standard, you know, if that makes sense. I agree. I totally agree. Super frustrating now because you're like, Oh, you can't talk about this. You can't say this. You can't do that. And it's like, well, you know, um, I I just feel like that's what the, the should be going on with art, and it shouldn't be so, you know, cloistered into some weird area where things can't. The whole point is that you're trying to communicate to other people, right? Right. But uh, so when you say provocative, you don't necessarily mean like uh, antagonistic. Like you can provoke something no i, I just, know, just feel an like emotional reaction right an emotional reaction or imagery that's kind of fucked up or weird and i think you know we were possibly going to get into talking about where i'm from i'm from uh you know i was raised in pittsburgh with my brother in uh suburban pittsburgh my parents were my dad was a college professor of chemical engineering and my mom was a retired nurse and then she went she got back into it later in life but I was raised by very uh, intelligent liberal parents who nonetheless, you know, at the same time we, we got to do all this fun stuff. Like my dad took us to see kiss. And uh, when I was like eight and a half in 78, which is just, That's I mean, awesome. it's like, and then like the next summer we went, we got to go see alien. And it's like, you know, it's like, and right after that, it was like, we I went grew up in and went to the mall where they filmed Dawn of the Dead. So it's like I always kind of had a morbid kind of weird post, you know, Catholic horror upbringing. That was and my dad was very funny and my like my mom liked horror movies. My dad was was very like passionate, provocative uh, guy who would play. Do you know um, Morton Sabotnik? The the musical composer. The name sounds familiar, but I don't know what he, what he's done. It's like bizarre. It's it's kind of like the great godfather grandfather of Aphex Twin or something like that. It's like really <laughs> okay. weird sampled like, but like I think it's sampled tape loops, but probably when you had to like cut tape from like the late sixties. Right. Um, wow. And my dad would play this scary, crazy music sometimes and just like turn the lights out. And I was like, I just remember having all these vivid experiences and was dealing with so many uh, subjects and like whether it was called. Your dad would do that just as, sorry, your dad would just do that as a fun thing. 
He would do it like once. I think when my mom wasn't home, he would be like, ha ha, this is funny. I'll scare the kids. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> scared the shit out when, of me. When you and your brother were really young? I, I, I couldn't have been that young. I was probably like maybe five or six. So I guess kind of young. And if you That's hear this young. thing, it's so creepy. It's called The Wild Bull by Morton Subotnik. And there's a poem on the back about this like dead bull warrior and it's just creepy you know it's like um but really heavy dark electronic music and at the same time it scared the shit out of me i kind of loved it and i think he knew that he wasn't really you know if i was like crying i'm sure my dad you know yeah he wasn't a psychopath he would have stopped but (laughs) he was just like he would do he was like very provocative and then i felt like i was very much a chip off the old block of being provocative. Um, so you and, credit him mostly for that influence, just being like a little yeah, bit like funny and morbid. Like, and... Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I remember it when I was a teenager and I'd have something, he'd take me to the doctor. He's like, oh, yeah, you got a stomachache? He's like, well, you're probably going to die, but, you know. Uh, like, <laughs> Jesus. You know, he would just say, like, fuck up stuff like that and kind of, like, it was funny and, like, you know, I, it um it's funny i i just i i I have such a fond memory of him being like really funny and very tell jokes all the time and just you know but he had like a heavy dark presence too that he would engage with us sometimes too so but uh was that scary or was it was it yeah you know i think i think certainly you know in the 70s it's funny because when you like you know, my, he passed uh, three years ago, but oh, I'm sorry, when you man. go to see your dad and, and he's like late seventies, he's like a frail old man. And then I'm like, you know, that's who a lot of your friends, especially your friends after you're in your twenties and you're in your thirties, they get to know this older frail person, but I'm, I'm in a, always in the back of my head. It's like, I'm like, well, wow. It's it, he, he could be, pretty intense and goddamn scary in the set. Like I remember in the 1970s, he was like, he was just like on fire all the time. It was great. But it was also (laughs) when he got mad, it was very scary, but also I was a little kid then. So was I just, you know, completely uh, naive and, you know, you know, I mean, everything scares a little kid, right? It's like, (laughs) well, I think that more than most things, Seeing one of your yeah. parents like really fly off the handle is pretty scary. Probably at any age, like you just don't. It's not something you would wish for for them yeah. or for you. No, I think so too. I um, was did, was your mom like concerned about him being that intense, or did she was she I, also I intense? Like, or? And I I don't want to rely too much on on you know. Uh, what is it? What is it? The silent generation. Isn't that what they were? They're not baby. Boomers. Isn't that weird? And, and yeah. I, I feel like uh, they were very much because it was like, they were very much, um, they saved a lot as if they were like, the, they were born, you know, at, towards the end of the, at the, or after the end of the depression, but like late thirties. So, you know, I think that they would just save everything, but so they had a fairly traditional relationship and they weren't like pot smoking hippie baby boomers. They were like before that. So, 
Okay. Um, I, I was just going to say, though, I think I, I was just trying to mention a few things about, um, you know, why I was intrigued by making provocative imagery in artwork. And I think a lot of it's the upbringing, you know, also being really into being my age and being really into punk rock where that the whole, you know, objective was to be provocative or, you know, dark or weird or, you know, I, I was a kiss fan because of my brother. And then like within a couple years, they came to Pittsburgh and my dad was game enough that he was like, Oh, sure. Like we saw kiss. Um, no, I still see, this is funny. It's like, this is just like sets up so much of my life. The day our dog was put to sleep, we had to go downstairs and say goodbye to the dog. And it was like, had cancer or something. It was really sad. We love this dog. And then like came home from school. My dad picked us up from school and we drove us and we went and saw Kiss that night. It was like, it was like <laughs> the weirdest day ever. And, you know, this was, there was a very famous Who concert in uh, 1980 in which all these people were trampled. And oh, so yeah. this was, this was before that. And um, so basically they just were like, oh yeah, well, we're just going to sell 20,000 tickets and just, you know, open the door. And so <laughs> my dad it was chose just up general seating and a huge arena, the whole thing. And it's like, you know, it was Holy the civic shit. arena in Pittsburgh and, you know, basically fucking 20,000 people showed up and were like, okay, yeah, we're like all these, you know, drunk and like, we're going to see kiss. And it was crazy. And we were in the middle of this crowd and I could, t my dad was freaking out. He's like, Jesus, you know, like we're standing there and it's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a mass, like almost trampling, but it was <laughs> like when they opened have, the doors, it's it was really scary. It's because, it, you know, you can't do anything. There's just too much no. press from the people. And I was like a little kid. And I remember this, like, I have this very vivid memory of this like seventies chick with her hair feathered. And she's like, Hey man, there's a kid here. And we were like, <laughs> we were like standing wow. I, like my feet, like I was like a 45 degree angle to the ground and my feet were like behind me. And then, and we got in. Okay. And then like my, you know, it was like, my dad was like, Oh, this will be nice. I'll take the boys to go see this crazy rock and roll band. And then it was just like total chaos. Um, getting in there, but the concert was great. I, I have, I have really, did it stay chaos through, through the whole thing? Yeah. I, I remember it being pretty normal. I remember the, just, I remember thinking it was super loud, which I'm sure, you know, in the seventies, I don't think they did stuff with like noise. Like for, I think if you went to a rock concert in the seventies, there was like no holes barred. And right. The, this band, I think it was from Cleveland called the Rockets opened. And they were just like, you know, dirtbag rock and roll dudes with long hair and i don't remember anything about them other than it was loud but then kiss came out and it was just like they were amazing i remember paul stanley like humping he was singing i think it was making love which you know you can only imagine what that song's about um when you're eight and a half he was like humping the speaker stacks and I just remember being like eight and a half. And I'm like, this makes me feel funny. <laughs> they're, they're all, gr they're gross. If those, you go back and read those Kiss lyrics and it's all gross. It's all sex. Every song is sex. And like, you know. You know yeah, Gene I just Hatton. never, 
I never caught on to those guys and I'm kind of grateful that I, that it didn't, you know, I just was, I couldn't, couldn't figure it out and I didn't like the music. No, it was probably, they were probably, I feel like I caught me and my brother caught wind of it at a time when they were still really good. And then they totally jumped the shark like right after that. And then they were terrible. And then it was just like bad hair metal. If yeah. But like, there's a moment in the seventies where it's like, it's really was good. And, you know, kind of ridiculous. And like, you can see the New York Dolls influence and like, you know, just heavy rock stuff. Um, yeah. Well, it certainly would shape you in one way or another when you're that age and you have that yeah. experience. Yeah. And, you know, in high school, it was like I kind of moved out of that and then got into like more, uh, more stuff like really out there punk and you know thrash metal stuff all the really dark i and also and then hip-hop and it was like i feel like i was i had a very fortunately timed birth in that i got to see so much like seven i got to see the tail end of 70s rock and then like all the 80s like the post-punk stuff and thrash metal and hip-hop all that was like brand new stuff then you know yeah i feel the same way i feel really lucky for the the span that we had I, I didn't really catch, I wasn't into the punk scene as much. I was more into like, I guess, soul influence stuff because we, li- we listened to a lot of it, you know, being near Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's right. It's right there. All that stuff is from. There. Yeah. The but the transition from that into hip hop was totally natural for me. Like I, I yeah. just watched the radio shift from, you know, soul to disco to <laughs> hip hop. And I loved every minute of it. Yeah. What were, no, what were you going to ask? Did you, were you ever a big Funkadelic fan? Not a big one. I, I mean, my brother, I think, was more so. And I, I liked him. And I saw um, some incarnation of them once at, like, in some weird bar in Mardi Gras. It was pretty great to see them play for, like, three and a half hours in this tiny joint. Um wow. So I felt lucky for that, and I and I like I like some of their stuff a lot, but I think I, I think it became too popular, too you know all at once, and then it just was an oversaturation. And any music, even if I like it, I just eventually can't hear it anymore. No, yeah, I, yeah. There's so much stuff like that, and it's like I now I just I cycle back and forth. I have quite a bit of records here that I've been dragging around like an albatross for like since the 80s um holy shit how many do you have probably about you know i'm not as i mean god knows i'm not i have friends of mine are way more ridiculous i i i probably have around 2000 like 12 inches something that's a pretty serious collection yeah it's a pain in the ass i can tell you from having to if if you ever have to move in new york you're like oh cool i get to carry records upstairs like you know it's just awful but but I never really got rid of them. Like a lot of my friends got rid of them in the eighties and nineties when this, they, they invented the compact disc and everyone was, <laughs> you know, right. or like, then then when you got like a computer and you could have everything on iTunes and I just was like, you know, I had a music friend kind of explain the whole thing to me about the amount of uh, audio that you lose when you don't have, um, well, like, you know, a CD is not as good as vinyl and then 
uh, MP3 is not as good as a CD. So it like keeps getting shittier. Right. And every time you, you know, compress it, it. And like, I didn't fully understand this until I talked to people, musician friends of mine who were like, yeah, well, this is why this is good. And because, you know, you put on a record, like you listen to, for example, like something like some 70s rock, like ACDC or something on a vinyl thing, a stereo in a room. And you're like, it just it sounds like a you can hear everything. And it's like it's it sounds like a greasy hamburger. You know, there's no. You know, it's not fat free. It's not all cleaned up. It's just, it's like atmosphere that fills up the whole room, you know? And for years, I didn't have a decent enough system to hear it. Or I had just some crappy turntable for all these years. But then, you know, you get a couple of decent speakers and you put on vinyl and it like just feel, it's so warm and it fills the room up. Like I said, my parents uh, passed away like three years ago, and they had been in that same house that they moved into when they moved there in 1967. Right. For, you know, you, you talked about your dad dying, but sorry, but your mom died the same uh, year? Yeah, it, it's uh, my dad, unfortunately, uh, he was diagnosed in 2016 with glioblastoma that... Uh, multi-form it's like brain cancer that's very aggressive and he was 80 already so mm. they once he was diagnosed they were kind of like well he's only going to live nine months to uh two years and i think he lived 10 months exactly and wow. um my mother who had just gone through some cancer treatment of her own it was it was <clears throat> really bizarre and kind of weird and i think she 
knew or something in her shut down when he died because they were so close and they had been married 53 years that when um, he died, we had the funeral. You know, I went back to New York after a week or so. My brother went back uh, with his family to Georgia. And within a couple of days, she just like went downhill really fast and was convinced she had a stroke. And I was like, you know, part of it was that I thought she didn't really have a stroke, that she was just like reacting to all the stress of the situation. But she did indeed have a stroke. And then she went downhill really pretty quickly and went into the hospital uh, like a week and a half after my dad's funeral and then never came out. So I was back and forth quite a bit as was my brother and his family. You know, I just spent a lot of time, like I took his car back with me and then I drove my parents' car back to visit her in the hospital. And every time I would go back, she was kind of slipping away worse. But then once they, she died, it, the house, it was just, it was totally fucking bizarre because you would go in my parents' house and it was like a house I grew up in and my brother grew up in. And it was just like my parents got up and walked down the stairs and never came back. Like it was, everything was just all their shit for 50 years was in this house. So we just, (laughs) and I think this is probably something that a lot of people around my age or younger, you know, will eventually have to deal with or, or it's just like the the kids of today, they, they want less stuff. Whereas yeah. I think my parents' generation just they saved everything because they grew up in the depression or like post cloud of the depression. Yeah, and, like, and having stuff was actually a measure of yeah. your of your success. Yeah. And so you would just you know, they had all these trinkets and my dad my dad had a pretty big turtle collection, some of which is right above my head as I speak, that I saved a few pieces of like there's a Native American uh, turtle carving from like a moose antler that's pretty awesome. And some other, wow. I have a lot of the bone, like Native American carvings that I really liked. And some of the, there's also some like crystal stuff from like uh, the Czech Republic when he was in Prague. But, uh, you know, you, you just can't keep all that stuff. And it's like, as you get older, you're just like, Jesus Christ, I got to get rid of this. And like my parents, <laughs> They never, they just never got rid of the stuff. So it was like a lot for me and my brother. We had to have a, we had, a, we had an estate sale and stuff after my parents died. And it was just, you know, it's brutal. You go into your mom's like bedroom and there's a guy like looking at books on the shelf and then like looking up how much they're worth on eBay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was super, it was super depressing and intense, but necessary. Cause like, what are you going to do? Set the house on fire. It's like, you got, you know, right. at, at a certain point I, we almost want it. Like you almost want to, because you know, I'm, I like having nice stuff too, but you, you know, you can't take it with you. So. Yeah. I, I've actually felt every estate sale I've ever been to. I felt that sense of like, Tra- you know, you're trampling a, you're trampling you're on the a, family somehow yeah you're an interloper yeah, absolutely you're picking up their most precious belongings from a lifetime of of collecting and holding yeah, these things people every day of their life and you're like right and you're like you're like would you take a quarter would you take would you take 50 cents then, oh god it was crazy it was like the the first day it opened and it was like 
you know, my brother uh, and I were working on it, but he was there at the beginning and he had to really deal with the brunt of it. It was very difficult. But the, the first day it opened, it was like six in the morning and it was raining and people were lined up. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I remember talking to him about it because I, I don't think I got there until like the second day or something. I think I got there. On the, but the, or he was there real early in the morning because I think, I think I got in the night before at like two in the morning. I was like, dude, I got to get some sleep. So uh, people were like lined up in the rain and then they were like running down the street with like my dad's Santa costume. Like, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's really hard. That's really it. Just like it's no, no, bizarre. no, like ceremony, no uh, sort of yeah. respecting the, you know. And it, but but in another more serious way, it's like I was just talking about this with a friend of mine who her uh, grandfather is is currently very old and very sick, and I I certainly feel as though I got there like literally. 48 hours before my dad died and he was already kind of comatose and could not really recognize me or communicate that he could. And we, I played Mahler for him because he loved Mahler and I saw him kind of react as much as he possibly could. He couldn't talk anymore. And then he like, you know, he died really quickly and it's like, no one tells you this. And I feel like my mother and I talked about this and in a way, because, uh, she did you ever see six feet under it's like oh, yeah. super head super morbid but also like a i love that view. show for me yeah, that's like, right that's right up there with with the sopranos and the wire i would put yeah. six feet under yeah. in that same caliber yeah. and just the fact that like the whole thing is that people don't know how to talk about death in this country at all and i felt like maybe i learned something from watching that show and it was my mom's way of communicating the heaviness that about mortality that she never could face to face. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was so intense to like watch that show and then be like, wow, this is really quite beautiful. And it's, it's a way that like neither one of my parents would say directly to my face, you know, it's, and it gets heavy when, when parents get old and sick, they don't, they would just want to, they like, I feel like people just want to crawl under the cap, under the, porch like a cat and die they don't want to deal with other people i've seen it happen a lot you know and i get that but i was very i felt fortunate to be there at the end kind of in the room or or like at least like down the block when both of my parents and like no one tells you that it's like one of the most important moments of your whole fucking life is that you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, the day you get married is great. Or the day your kid is born is great. But like in the same way, the day your parents die is probably the most important moment of your life in a lot of ways. Right. Not in a, not really in a good way. Just, it's like, it's, no, it's just hugely momentous. Yeah. It's, it's altering in, in a way that nothing else has been up to that point. Like you just can't. And it, even if you don't get along with them, like even if you don't have a great oh, relationship with them. Yeah, and, no, but it's just the finality of the whole thing. And it seems ridiculous to not understand it in advance, but I to, agree. to really realize you're never going to talk to that person ever again, at least, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, I know some people believe in the afterlife and that they're going to go to heaven and see their, you know, or do whatever. 
I don't know that I necessarily believe that, I guess, but, um, you know, I just feel like even if that did happen, I don't know that it would be the same or whatever, but I just feel like you're never going to talk to that person ever again. And that like, just is so daunting in a way that, you know, it's coming, but what can you really do about it? You know, you're powerless. Right. Well, what we, yeah, what we could do about it as a society, as a culture is talk about it and have, have conversations right. early, early on that help children, even early young children understand what death is and what it, what the process is going to, you know, like pre- preparing for it makes more sense than, than not. Not. Yeah. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to take a class in high school called thanatology, which is the study of death and dying. And it had just started being yeah, offered that, that semester. Thanatology, T-H-A-N-A-T-ology. Um, oh, wow. That... And it was amazing. It was really, I mean, it was my senior year. I was, you know, mostly, I wanted to take as few classes as possible and, and kind of slide through. And I, I took a, I, that was one of that... them. And I was thinking like, this will be cool, fun. I'm interested in it and it'll probably be easy or whatever. And it wound up being one of my favorite classes of all time, just because we got deep yeah. into it and talked about it from all these other perspectives. And, you know, it's really only Western culture that doesn't discuss it. It's such a huge taboo here, yeah. but then we're totally fine yeah. with sex and violence and everything else right up front. Goddamn New York. I mean, New England's even worse. Like they're like, we don't talk about that dirty thing, death. <laughs> yeah well the weird yeah. way that we can you can like manipulate your your puritanism you know like yeah. i you, your values only go into these arenas and they don't they don't exist over, like i don't i can't hear that it's it just pisses me off at a certain point too because you know i can i can say honestly there were some moments after my dad died that, and you know look i was fortunate i had my parents in my life till i was like what what was I, 46, 47, um, 48 maybe even, almost 48. And uh, that's a lot more than a lot of people get in life. And so it, it doesn't make it hurt any less and it doesn't make it any more depressing that I can't talk to them now. But I, you know, I had a really good run with two, two weird liberal parents who, you know, I could make... Uh, paintings with my mom and then some porn and then some rodents and some skulls or just like whatever stupid shit was in the thing. And they were like, Oh, that's funny. Like they, you know, they embraced me being a weird artist. And like, there's, I think I said something in their eulogy about that, that I feel like that was the greatest gift any kid could ever get is that you have two parents that love you. Everyone's, you know, got their faults and whatever, but, they supported me in being a weirdo artist. So I can't, that's you know, humongous. Ask you know, yeah, like that's, there's so that, many people that are artists and their parents are like, why aren't you a fucking doctor or lawyer? Like, right. Make some or money. you're, you're going to take over the you're business. Gonna, you know, just take over the, yeah, take over the, take over the fish scaling business that I've right. been doing for years, like some horrible shit. That, right, no that I've been breaking wanted. my back with and hating for the last four decades. I want you to take over. And not, over this like this hot turd of a business right here here see this thing that made me miserable i'd like you to have it now and carry on the legacy like you know look if i 
I don't know about my daughter, Hannah, and like if she's going to go into art stuff. And like, I'll certainly encourage her and whatever. But like, what is more important to me than anything is that she figures out what she wants to do and she does it. And I just support her in that. And I'm not going to be like, yeah, but unless she's a banker, then I'm like, all bets are off. I'm going to be like, that's so lame. <laughs> that's, <laughs> <her> shit. <laughs> that's the one like, thing you just want to You're going to be a hedge funder. Then I'll right. really give her shit. As a culture made a point of discussing death as a natural process of life, you know, because it's inevitable for every single one of us. And regardless of what your creation story or your religion or anything, your God, regardless of any of that, if you could at least as an animal convey to your, your, you know, fellow animals, we're, this is a process that we're all involved in and we're only here this you know in this incarnation this one time and uh it's okay like when when it ends it ends and that's okay and hopefully you don't i mean i feel for the people who believe that and i don't know what your personal belief is you know if life is over and that's it it's just like darkness forever i don't that's not a very inviting death to me so i i do understand why people might fear it if that's what they're taught but no, I believe I, you know, that I, it's like more like reuniting with the source energy and death actually becomes a beautiful thing because you're, you yeah, become yeah. the light. You become part of the same thing that we all are already a part of and we just don't know it. Yeah. Right. I, I, well, I, I, what is that? What, what is, what is the definition from my perspective? Is it agnostic because I'm saying I don't know, like I'm fine. I feel like I'm fine not knowing. That's perfectly fine with me. I'm not going to tell someone they're full of shit because they believe they're going to heaven. And just the same, I'm not going to, you know, I, I just hate when you see like atheists becoming just as bad fascists as like lame evangelicals, you know, where they're right. like, no, no, I, here's what happens. It's like, you know, a lot of it is that like no one fucking knows. So just accept that you don't know and, you know deal with it and don't well that's i think what i think that's what humans have the hardest time with to begin with they don't do well with that and with that situation where it's like you don't you don't get to control the outcome that makes humans crazy but but it's kind of the case all the time that's why david lynch is so important (laughs) (laughs) just to remind us of that fact no just just to throw a little plug in there no that's you know it's like you don't know. It's okay to not know. It's like, you know, remember when you were a kid and you don't, you didn't know fucking anything. It's right. fine. It's, you, 
you know, you just gravitate towards other people that are smarter than you or that are more compassionate or better humans in some sense and like watch what they do and like they don't know what they're doing either um but i you know there i don't know it's like the weird I, you reminded me of one thing i wanted to say about the the hardest thing i've had to do since my parents have been gone is like after all the drama and like you know selling their belongings in the car and you know uh stuff out of my parents house I went for a friend's birthday about a year ago, last week or week and a half ago. Um, and just, you know, we went to the cemetery and by now the stone is up and we've got this beautiful like Norwegian uh, granite. It's like blue gray granite. And, nice. you know, I think there's me and my brother designed the stone and I think it looks fucking gorgeous and it's just sad. And it, but I um, hope I can get through this without like, you know, it's, it's really too intense to, to, it's very difficult to talk about, but the I hardest appreciate thing you I talking about it and you're welcome to no, emote however you're inclined. I won't judge. It, I welcome, I no, welcome it, it. And you know, as, as you just said earlier, I think it's important to talk about this stuff and I think it's better than talking about sports. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but the hardest thing I've had to do since they died was sit in front of their grave and tell them about my daughter. Uh, how, how do you, they were, they, they got to meet her, right? She's five and they, they died a few years ago. Or you mean tell yeah. tell them about her as she's, as she's growing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what they missed. Um, well, can you, is it possible? I know you're not into the afterlife and stuff, but is it possible for you to imagine that they do somehow they, still exist and they do experience her life, the energy of it? I, hope, I really hope so. I really hope so. It's just, it's so fucking hard because like my mom kind of leaked, you know, I'll never forget what she said one time about, you know, it was like when Hannah was crawling around on the floor and she was like one and she was just like, my mom wouldn't do this very often. She wasn't as morbid or dark as my dad, but she's like, you know, she looked at me and she's like, did she say it's, I think she said, it's a shame to know. It's a shame to think I'll never know her, the young woman. Uh, that's hard. And, and I was just like, Jesus Christ. It was like, it was such a knife in my heart. And like, you know, I knew she didn't mean it to be malicious. She wasn't, she was just saying it because it was sad you know? Yeah. But it's such a hard thing to hear it in your position. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's weird. It's like, I really feel as though, um, me, me, you know, uh, meeting my wife and, and, and having a child and like settling down in a certain sense was, uh, you know, it's like that kind of stuff enables your parents to let go. Like, right. in, you know, maybe there's a certain normal sense to that, 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 you know, oh yeah, well that's very like normal. Like you get married and have a kid and like, that's what you're supposed to do in life. Right. And like, I certainly did enough other weird art stuff, but just that like <laughs> later on, it like occurred to me that I was like, that, you know, that that enables your parents to go because they can, you know, 
They know that you you're you're in something. Like I think that I was, you know, I was single for a long time and like not in a relationship. So then you're just like, wow, it's you know, he's in something good now, and it's a you know, Eva's a good person, and it was just it's amazing. Right, and to have a child that you're you know they know that you have a future, you know, yeah, mapped out for yourself just by like, association with this creature that talking to it's like, and I really, I feel like it's just, you know, I haven't, I I've, I've done a good job at the past couple of years of keeping it at bay, but when you let it in, it's still just as painful as if they died yesterday. And like talking to a stone in a cemetery, I found like oddly comforting in a way, in the same way that like we were talking about the character in uh, six feet under it's like when that becomes your reality, when you just are talking to a stone in a graveyard and getting some kind of uh, comfort from that yeah. or like super intense. Like, I, you know, like you, you heard me a few minutes ago. I can't even talk about like trying to tell them about Hannah's life, you know, to a stone. It just is so the, the emotions are so intense. It's really incredible. Because you know that you're like, God damn it, I wish they could just see her for one afternoon, you know? Yeah. Like the way she is now as a four and a half year old, like as opposed to, because, you know, the first year it's like you get a, well, you, it's like you get this potato that poops all the time. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. But like not a- when, they, when they start becoming a little person, it's just like, oh my God, I wish mom and dad can see this, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it hurts like hell that they're not there, but, you know. And maybe they are there, like you said. Maybe there's some kind of sense of seeing it.
brain and behavior. And you got to hold a human brain and it was all like sitting in formaldehyde and it was like hard as a brick. Nice. And for some reason, part of one of the classes was like, all right, everyone put on rubber gloves. You're going to pick up this human brain. And That's crazy. I took a lot of too because i was you know you took obviously what? a artist so uh anatomy classes where you they had like babies in jars and all this crazy morbid shit that i loved and they they got you a pass to because pitt has a really big medical school and i got a pass to go in the gross anatomy lab and i thought i was going to be like oh yeah um i get to look at a flayed human being without its skin to draw the muscles but I got to see it after the first semester, like medical students had dissected the corpses and just thrown body parts back in the bags. And it was like, I remember I had to like, I I was like, I felt I was going to hyperventilate. You're like opening body bags. And it's like, just like everything was like a car wreck in there. And I was like, had to call my mom and be like, mom. That's horrifying, man. Totally horrifying. But like, you know, any Pitt has a really big medical school and any medical school has one of these rooms with like, you know, here's a two headed baby in a jar and here's like a liver floating in green liquid in a jar. And like you just it's like it's totally morbid. It's like I don't know if you've ever been to the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia. I don't think so. The, I've been to a few museums in Philly, but I don't know if I went to that. If next time you're there, if you happen to find yourself there, go. It's called the Mütter Museum, and it's like the medical oddities. It's like it's very. Oh. I'm, I, Eric has to have been there. This is so Eric White. It's like <laughs> it's That's... it's kind of like Mad Magazine meets like Gross Anatomy Lab, and there's like a <laughs> they have a flat file, and it's like a flat file of shit that people have choked to death on. Jesus. It's the actual items. It's like a, the size of some of the stuff. It's like who swallowed a whole spoon or what? Like, you know, it oh, was it's so grim. But the, the, so the undergrad class I had was sort of like the Mütter Museum. It was like, you know, this weird, morbid anatomy, anatomical stuff. That's pretty cool though. <laughs> I mean, I guess that shaped some of who you are now too, as an artist. For sure. I feel like that's what I mean about being weird because, you know, there's, I, you know, I feel like in making art, I make stuff that's diaristic, right? And not like today I ate potatoes and then I took a shower and washed my feet or like not that whatever, but just like there's stuff you're thinking about and then you're making this drawing and you draw this part of it and then you're thinking about something else on this other section and you know, that kind of, to me, represents more of an accurate picture of reality, especially contemporary reality with the internet and the interwebs. Right. That like, it's fractured and kind of schizophrenic anyhow. It's and true. So it's cool that you... Is, sorry. It's, no, cool no, that that's, it's, it's cool that you approach it that way because I don't think that's how most artists like. Usually, a piece is a piece. Like it's I'm I'm making this, but you're saying you come back at it, or or just through the course right. of making it, you're thinking about different and stuff. I, I think formally it started from collage, and collage is kind of disjunctive like that, and that that felt like more accurate. Uh, 
depiction of reality. Cause it's like, yeah, everyone can put on a nice white shirt and a sports coat and a smoking jacket and pose perfectly and do a self portrait. But like, is that your real reality or are you just creating that fabrication for that portrait? Right. You know, so to kind of get something that's a little bit more, uh, interrupted and distracted and kind of definitely convoluted and ambiguous is always, you know, and it makes it exciting to make the, the image because you're not just drawing a picture and then shading it in, which Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's super frustrating to not be able to work like that (laughs) because I, I envy people that can work like that so much because I always have to like turn it upside down or do something weird to it. And then like, a lot of the time you end up not finishing stuff or ruining stuff because uh, you know, you went too far and you should have left it alone. You should have walked away from it. You should have just colored the background in there. And then instead you made this stupid drawing and then you ruined it. You know, it's, you can sometimes ruin a good idea by adding too much crap to it. Yeah. I'm Uh, definitely guilty of that. I've overworked pieces before to the point where they're, it's just not what I wanted. It's not the thing I was trying yeah. to make. But I think there's something to be said for that too. I mean, I, I have a friend, maybe you know him. He's in New York too, Daniel da- uh, Davidson. He's an artist. Oh, yeah. I, I just, I'm, I have to rotate artworks that I have in my in the apartment here because I only have so much wall space. But I just had Daniel's up for, uh, we traded years ago and I, I have oh, a cool. piece that he gave me. I, I uh, thought you might great. know him. He's he's amazing, and and as you know, like he his the impermanence is like a huge factor in his work. Like he makes things that yeah. he destroys right as you know in the process of doing it, he'll just black out the entire drawing. And for some people, it's truly heartbreaking, you know. Uh, and to yeah. him, it's just like, well, it it already happened. You got, you know, so he'll take a video of it and you see where it was and then it's over and it's gone. And, uh, or he has like the paper towel dispensing machine with drawings that, on that, 80 feet of paper. That, yeah. That thing was insane. That was and so he would good. let, he would let people just rip off a piece and take it. And wherever they yeah. ripped, that was, the, that was their thing. And if it went right through one of his drawings, he didn't, he wasn't personally offended. And I don't know, it's an amazing approach. I don't, I'm not there with my, I'm not super precious about my art by any, you know, I'm pretty sloppy and collage is my yeah. main, my main thing these days. Uh, and I used to do a lot of 3d assemblage stuff. Um, but, and I'm not into like, you know, precision and refinement. I just don't have the patience or ability, I guess, or, or interest. I don't know. I, I just express it. A Eric, way. Eric's Eric a is really great. That. Yeah. And I, I, he's, you know, he's, he's forced me to sometimes like, I'm like, God damn it. I'm going to make this look really real or I'm going to really focus this. Like it makes me make a different art, but then I going off, and, you know, it's like everyone should go in their own direction, but like, the fact that Eric can so somewhat seemingly effortlessly pull some of that stuff off is endlessly inspiring to me. It's truly incredible. It's not, it's not effortless. I mean, he, he puts so much time into it, but it's, but yeah, I I was just going to say a friend of mine who does like very 
labor intensive stuff. I was like, you know what we should do? I was like, we should just commit like kind of a lame crime <laughs> that will get you sent to prison for like six months. So you can just work on art and not because you can't leave. And then you could do all the shade in prison. That's amazing. And it's like prison work. It's like, it sucks. It's like, okay, so you sketched it out and all so the, the face is proportional and the eyes are in the right place. And now you just got to do all the shitty shading work. It takes forever. Yeah. That stuff you know, has always so, been so tedious to me that I, I don't even approach the, that type of thing. It, it's like, I, I, I think that's why I'm always starting new drawings and, and then trying to finish the ones that are like, you know, half baked. It's right. just that it's like, oh, yeah, I got to do all this shading work. Great. And then, you know. Yeah. I have a uh, lot of unfinished projects that it's, the, it's just the, the dull shit left to do. And it's not, that's why they sit there unfinished. You know, what's been, was good. And I was certainly doing this during like COVID lockdown here in New York is that if you take like 10 of them, right? You go through and you like this drawing. You go, I don't like that one. And you pick like 10 that you like and then make yourself just finish those 10. And maybe 10 is even too much. Maybe you should pick like three. And yeah, that just, sounds good. It's been helpful for me to do that because, you know, I really work in a collage kind of manner and I'll have a lot that are like, they could go various directions. And like you were saying with Daniel, it could go in this direction where you black half of it out. And I, I love that idea. Cause then you're, you're left with a weird trace or like a ghost of the image. I like to draw with like hard pencil and go over it with soft pencil. And it's like, you can see it in a lot of my drawings where it's like, there's traces of what's underneath. And I've been intentionally doing that because it represents some kind of like, um, you know, architectural trace or like human existence trace of like whatever the time is that you exist on the planet. It it's kind of illustrating that part that came before that you weren't around for. That's kind of that like you see it in a lot of artwork and it's like it resonates because it's ghostly and like you see, hey, yeah, I see that you're drawing this, but then what's that stuff underneath there? Yeah. And it's ambiguous and kind of just a little creepy. That's cool. Um, so that's an, and, you, you intentionally leave some of that showing just to make the viewer yeah, wonder. You know, it's, it's it's like you know it's 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 working in a way that's not uh, it's not totally linear. It's like you're kind of you keep circling back around the same area, but then when you come back to the same point on the circle, you're at a different point in your life, and the drawing's at a different point in its life, and. You can see part of what was there before, but not the whole picture. And I, I feel like that really, you know, that and the schizophrenic stuff kind of represents uh, the contemporary existence that we all kind of live within with like, you know, the interwebs. While we're surfing the inner interwebs and the world wide web. <laughs> and doing 12 other things and thinking about doing 12 a thousand other like things. Driving. Yeah. Um, you kind of get all these traces of something else. Um, That's cool. That, That's a cool way to, way to think of it. I like, I like all the ways that you've talked about how you approach your art. It's, it's, uh, you have a different, uh, I mean, obviously everybody's got a different perspective, but 
you, it, it just seems like there's a need, there's like a, it, there has to be something that, um, isn't what has already been in order for you to be interested in the, in a way, which I really, I like, I like originality a lot in art and just knowing that somebody wants to do it their way and not the way it already has been done, I think is what makes art continue to progress. I, I totally agree. I think that it's, uh, and it's always what, you know, like all the people I was, and there's certainly been a ton of people that I really like contemporary and, you know, people that were live alive a hundred years ago. And it's like, you know, there's points in my life where I'd look at a certain artist for a long period of time. And then I would have to like, not look at them because I didn't want to start making paintings that look like shitty knockoffs of Francis Bacon or right. whatever. Like I love Francis Bacon, but it's because nothing looks like that except for Francis Bacon and, well, there, unfortunately, there's like all these shitty knockoffs that look like that. Too. Right. But, but at the time, I mean, it's like he, it was, he was a weirdo. He believed he was going to do his own thing and he wasn't going to try and like, quote, render the figure like right. a lot of people. And he just had the guts to go for it. And that's so inspiring because, you know, we can't all draw like Velasquez. So, yeah, or uh, Da Vinci or whatever. I mean, it's amazing yeah. that those people exist, and I love, I love that yeah. some of that work. Of all that, it's amazing. And the I guy mean, who I'm always like chasing around in the back of my head is Edvard Munch too, because my it's also because my father loved them, and you know I've got Norwegian blood, and he was Norwegian. Okay, but I feel like the older I get, I'm getting closer and closer to like there's a certain sense that's really emulating a monk thing. And that's always been like floating around my head where it's like, he can do these like really, he called them turpentine paintings where he would just, it was like paint right out of the tube and turpentine. And it's really like, it dries out really quickly. And so you can kind of model it really quickly and it's loose and watery for oil paint. And it's amazing. And, you know, he, he, that guy had a, he was a nervous fellow. He had a bunch of nervous breakdowns. And um, I've certainly been thinking about him a lot during COVID because the last pandemic killed Egon Schiele and Gustav Klimt, but uh, didn't kill Munch. And he did this really funny self-portrait. He, he caught it, but he didn't die of it. Uh -huh. And if you look at it, it's called Self-Portrait After Spanish Influenza from 1918. And he looks like hell, you know, it's like this little painting. He looks like he's like, like, and, but he didn't die. And the other two died. And, you know, Sheila, Sheila's wife died. I think their baby died too. Uh, wow. And, you know, we're, we're in the midst of the, the next big pandemic a hundred years later. And so every time I like sit down to do something, I've made a, I want, I should make like a, you know, maybe that's why I had a COVID-19, the show I had at Java, the Java project was called COVID Kids Club. And maybe you know, that's why I made it because I wanted, it was my homage to, you know, Edvard Munch's self-portrait. I love it. <laughs> like, you're, ch you're channeling. That's yeah, awesome. because you're like, people, you know, you think you're the first, but people have been here before who felt this stuff. Right. Well, and that's you know. part of what is so amazing about art is when you can connect across 
you know, generations and, and time zones and all, you know, all different cultures and things and still reach yeah. another person. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. It's eternal. That, that That's the, that's really the reason I think I really, I had a, a, a ex-girlfriend, you know, who she was an opera singer. I saw her go, she died when she was 29 of cancer and we met when she was like 18 and she really pushed me to be an artist as opposed to an art, uh, art historian or art therapist. And I, she really pushed me with her own passion to do what she wanted to do. And she kind of burned brighter for a shorter period of time. And she died. Like I said, I saw her go from when she was gonna, uh, she decided she wanted to sing opera. And I was like, who the, who the fuck sings opera? Like I met her and we were at a punk rock show. She's like, I'm going to be an opera singer. And I was like, wow, you're amazing. And, you know, we went out for a few years, we broke up and we stayed in touch. And I saw her at the Metropolitan Opera when she was 27, 26, maybe 27, I think. And, you know, a year and a half later, she got cancer and then she died. And it was like, but her headstrongness in terms of wanting to do what she really wanted to do with her life and seeing her achieve that. And like, you know, who from Western Pennsylvania gets to sing at the Met? Right. No one. That's impo- that, the odds are just impossible for that to happen. And I saw it happen to her. And I've always kind of carried that around. You know, it's like it's just it's incredible what if you just you know believe in doing your own thing, how you can you can you can really do that in your life. And that also, you know, if you, I've had shows in Europe and left some traces of that stuff behind. And, you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, it's like some guy in Prague or someone in Copenhagen, or wherever I've had shows and you, you have like sold an artwork or left it over there that, uh, someone's going to be like, oh yeah, it's some weird dude from New York. And like, it's going to have its own life, you know? Right. And I think that's great. It's like always a way for you to like overcome death through the, like there's you know, this physical object that's not you, but it's so close to you because it's physical. It's not a photograph. It's like a, you know, it's, not something you... it's not the same. Like it's not a virtual thing. Right. It's a, it's a painting. That, that person's hands touched it a lot. Like they, yeah. they were right and there. Big, and any drawing I make is like really scratchy and like, you know, it's, you can see that it's worked and you know, you feel that much more in a painting or a drawing than you do in a photograph. And that's always been my end game for that is you want to like 50 years from now, if anyone gives a shit, they'll see this thing and be like, I'll be long gone. And they'll be like, wow, look at that. This person really worked the shit out of this thing. What does this all mean? And, you know, I don't know if there's any answer to any of those questions, but hopefully they'll find it interesting and they'll be like, wow, this is nuts. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think yeah. it, it, there is something really cool about the fact that it will, same with music, like it, it continues to connect with people so, so long after the fact and can have renewed value and meaning for multiple generations you know if it's if it is impactful enough so i just think that's awesome you leave this you leave a little artifact and then it spins out with the earth 
you know, just kind of going wherever it goes and, and touching whoever it touches. It's pretty awesome. I remember my, you see, it's weird. My mom would never really, like, she was emotionally evasive with some of this stuff. But I remember her saying something about, wow, it's crazy to think that someday the sun's going to go supernova and just, like, blow up everything that ever existed on Earth. And I was like, <laughs> at the time, I was, she was so cheery. And at the time, I was like, fuck, mom. Like, <laughs> That's pretty heavy. You know, you know and because like I said, she was very cheery, like, you know, but I was like, she would just drop these bombs once in a while. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. That's amazing. Um, well, I'm looking at the the clock. I'm, uh, I'd love to keep talking. We're blathering on. No, I love it. But I, 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 but I know I have to edit it. So, you know, I got to yeah, give no, this. You got to. Like, I don't know how long you usually do a talk for, but this has been certainly good, I think. I, I feel like it, it, you know, there's a good reason I had a beer. I feel like I might have blathered on too much at the beginning, but, you know, it's just nervousness or something. I don't know, but I, we, got, we covered a lot of interesting stuff, I think. Definitely. There's yeah. definitely plenty of great not so, uh, stuff. Not that. What's that? Fucking Yankees. Yeah, we no, didn't talk, we didn't talk, about, talk them. about Yeah. Yeah, or the Knicks. This is a no sports zone. My this is that's the one area my podcast does not uh even approach. It's just it's just a yeah. we go e- I mean, easy on politics and and no sports period. Yeah, I, I I felt like look, I talked to my fucking brother about this Trump shit and like did you I don't know if you saw Giuliani farting yesterday. No, it's I like didn't. Shit. He He's with this Jenna, this one lawyer who's his like, you know, the, the kind of the pretty young uh, blonde lawyer for the Trump administration sitting next to him in Michigan. And they're arguing with this Democrat about, you know, trying to overthrow the, the certification process in Michigan. And he's like e- emphasizing a point. And he goes, you haven't read the evidence. And like you can. And she turns. She's sitting next to him and she turns and looks at him. And you, you, you can. she does the thing where it's like. He just farted and I'm turning to look at him and like, it's obvious that he's like, he's emphasizing a point. So he probably like tightened up his ab- abdomen and like, he just let fly with some burrito and That's it happened funny. a couple of times. Like, it's all, of course it's all over the interwebs. Cause you know, I'm but like, I, you know, I, fuck it. I he deserves every all uh, as much as possible, but that's something I might have to check out. Yeah. Uh, look, just, just write, all you have to do is Google Giuliani farting and you'll get the, you'll get the 10 second clip and you'll, it'll make it all worthwhile. Like, and then I'll get 500 memes following that. I know. Yeah. Well, um, well, listen, well, Justin, thank you. That's, I, I think it's, uh, it's going it, to, it, there's a lot to work with there. I'm, I'm really excited to hear how it sounds. Uh, I hope it wasn't too blathered. Not at all, man. I could what? talk to you forever. I'm, I I totally enjoyed it. And I only, you know, I feel like we could also cover a thousand more subjects and we'll just have to do it on another episode. But, um, but, yeah, no, I, but I love that we got into death and art and, you know, some pretty great yeah, it, stuff. You know, cause I feel like there's uh like at the end of the day, it's like I chose to be an artist because I felt like it had philosophical weight to it. And, I want to talk about all this stuff that we just talked about in, you know, visual form. Uh, and you know, that's, 
it's not because I want to sell pretty pictures to rich people. It's because you're like dealing with these, you know, life issues and in a visual format or whatever, you know? I, I think it's as valid a reason as any to, to I mean, not as any, but I, I think it's the, it's, it, it makes for the most honest experience of, of the work, you know, if that's what your, if your aim is to create for all the reasons that you gave and not because you want a commodity to sell, then I think you're going to make yeah. better stuff. I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> but um, well, excellent. Um, well, very nice talking to you. And I just let me know. I'm I'm excited to hear the the final edit whenever you you finish it up. I will definitely keep you posted on where it is okay. and when it's going live. Okay. All right. Uh, just let me know if you need anything from me, and I I look forward to hearing uh, all the different podcasts you get going. Cool, man. It was really great talking to you. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time and, and being so open. Oh, and I really enjoyed it. That was, it was really cool. Me too. And uh, let's talk again soon. All right, Justin. All right, man. Have a good night. Thanks. Again. All right, you too. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I hope you'll forgive the various digital delay over-talking moments. Um, there's only so much I can do about it editing-wise, and uh, it can be distracting. But I didn't want to say anything about it in the intro, because then you'd probably be thinking about that every second until you hear it, and then you'd be thinking about it more and more and more. Um, so anyway, it's it's over now. You made it. And it's just the nature of Wi-Fi and distance and technology. So uh, I, I apologize on all of those things behalf and my own. Um, so thank you for listening. That was my new friend, Paul. Um, and you can find his beautiful artwork. Uh, he has a ton of really cool, interesting original drawings and paintings on his website, which is paulbrainerd.com. And Brainerd is B-R-A-I-N-A-R-D. And you can find him on Instagram at bequeather, B-E-Q-U-E-A-T-H-O-R. Um, and he'll, he has artwork there as well as other things in his life. So go check that out, please. You'll be glad you did. And uh, thank you, Paul, for talking and sharing openly. And thank you, everybody, for listening and for being patient when I take a while to put an episode up. Um, and speaking of patience, I want to give an extra special thank you to my patrons uh, over at patreon.com slash outspoken podcast for uh, hanging in there while I put together the rewards and get them out. And I'm, it takes me so much longer than I thought it would sometimes. 
and I don't feel like I'm keeping up with things very well these days. So I apologize for anything that's late. I promise you it's coming, and I am exceedingly grateful for your support. So thank you. Thank you all. Um, please be kind to yourselves and each other's. And if you need anything, give me a call. Okay, bye.